Hi, I'm Ambika Gotham Pai. I'm a writer and the chief strategy officer of an ad agency called Mechanism. I'm a mom of two little babies and the sort of person who just cannot stop thinking. You are listening to Corner Office Breakdowns, a podcast that reconciles humanity and the workplace. Here we dive into conversations that usually happen in whispered tones or behind closed doors and bring them to the center, contemplating and breaking down the way leading and living have historically been done and rebuilding them together. Corner Office Breakdown sits at the intersection of business and leadership, equity and emotion, parenthood, womanhood, personhood, and as crazy as it sounds, the meaning of life. All of the guests you will hear from are people who have fundamentally changed my outlook. They may shift yours too. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you like this podcast. I hope you love it. I hope you share it. And I hope you subscribe. One thing my therapist and I talk about every single week is my struggle with social media, my struggle with putting myself out there in a way that could be perceived as self-serving or egotistical or self-centric and who I am and I guess kind of where I come from. Being egotistical or vain is one of the worst things you can be. The best people are humble, grounded, and don't make too much of a big deal of themselves. And so when I was launching this podcast and seeking a publisher for my book, one of the main things I've had to really consider is how do I put myself out in the world in a way that feels authentic to me. And at first the authenticity meant I would just write and sort of hide behind the written word. But as I get further and further into the process of unpacking my own fear of being seen as egotistical or being egotistical and my problem with putting myself out there, what I'm realizing is whatever I do is in service of the work I want to do. I am putting myself out there. I'm, you know, putting my picture in assets and trying to get featured in publications and other podcasts and all of that, not because I am on some egomaniacal trip, um, but because I want people to think about these topics of leadership, motherhood, womanhood, personhood, mental health, business, in a different way, because I truly believe that if we all start to expand how we define some of these roles and some of these uh, aspects of our lives, we will have such a better and more diverse future. And throughout this process, I have 
tapped one person on the shoulder multiple, multiple, multiple times. And that person is Amani Duncan. Amani Duncan is a highly accomplished full stack marketer and brand strategist. And she has three decades of experience in the industries like fashion and beauty, media, advertising, music and entertainment, manufacturing. She has a very proven track record of driving brand growth and transformation through strategic partnerships and initiatives that positively impact people, purpose, and profits. What's so interesting about Amani is that she has been in so many different roles in so many different industries. And so she calls herself a foreigner in foreign lands, really bringing innovative and sustainable solutions to businesses by challenging traditional mindsets and by rethinking the approaches these companies have been taking for years. And she has been widely acknowledged for this. She's earned recognition in the advertising industry, including Ad Age's A-List 2022 Agency Exec of the Year, um, Ad Week's Women Trailblazer 2022 Campaign Female Frontier Award Honoree, uh, Girl Scouts of Greater New York Gold Achievement Honoree, and more. She is an active member of various industry orgs, including serving as a founding member of Chief. Uh, if you haven't heard of Chief, look it up. The, it's an incredible leadership network for women. And she sits also on the board of directors of Fender Musical Instruments Corporation and Filey and volunteers with the Girl Scouts of Greater New York. While she's no longer the CEO of BBH, which is uh, the role she was in when I first met her, she continues to be really involved in the advertising industry and speaks at you know all the events, serves as um, a jury member and jury president for awards like Can Lions, <laughs> if you will, um, Ad Ages Creativity Awards, Advertising Week's Future is Female, and uh, the Dubai Links. But the most amazing thing about Amani is that despite all of her success and despite the adversity she's faced in her life and in her career, she isn't slowing down. She has the sort of tenacity that I haven't encountered much in my life. And that tenacity applies both to her own career um, and her own success but also to creating really positive change in the industry and beyond. Uh, so in this conversation, we talk about the different kinds of success, but what we really net out on is uh, reconciling our own opinions and judgments about things like ambition and confidence and ego. Um, and this conversation has been pretty healing for me and changed my own perspective about what it means to have a bit of an ego, have confidence, have swagger, uh, and really embrace that. So Amani. 
You know what? We don't go that way back, but I feel like we do go way back because the first time we ever had a conversation, we talked for double the time we were supposed to. And we were like, we feel like we've known each other a really long time. It was natural. And I feel like it was, it was natural. And I feel like in so many ways, we are cut from the same cloth. We have really similar values. We have a deep appreciation of family and spirituality in our own ways and kind of the role that being a woman, being a woman of color, being a woman who wants to do good and see good in the world, mm-hmm. um, how powerful that can be. Absolutely. And so I'm so thrilled to have you. Your career itself speaks volumes like girl you need to write like an autobiography so everyone can like truly understand how many different things have the Amani stamp on them oh you're so kind (laughs) really but we're here today to have a really a a conversation that is very close to my heart um around silent success loud success, and almost how to choose. Mm. And this came up for me a lot in the last few years as I've been, you know, trying to get this book, which is the most meaningful thing I've ever done in my life besides have my children out in the world and really vouch for myself in a way that I've never had to in the face of people being like, who is this lady and why is she worth our time or our investment and being told like, you need to be somebody. And so deeply questioning like, well, am I not, am Mm -hmm. I not somebody because I don't have a social media following or I'm not um, an influencer or I'm not on a TV show. Like, does that mean my opinion, my beliefs, my lessons, my learnings don't matter. And it was really hard for me to put myself out there in a way that felt loud, louder than I was used to and talk about my accomplishments and why my opinion could, you know, was worth hearing. And I turned to you a lot in those moments (laughs) because I needed someone to tell me that was okay. And I needed someone to really encourage me. And so this podcast episode is a small full circle. Hopefully our circle extends far beyond, but this is a small full circle, at least in my life that I'm experiencing having you here. So thank you so much. Oh, you know, I think the world of you. So thank you for having me a part of this project. And you're, you're such a radiant light. Like, I really feel a kinship with you. And anything that I can do to help support you, you know where to find me. So thank you for having Vice me. Versa. That's right. Sisterhood. Sisterhood, which is one of your key topics. I love it. I love it. I believe in it. But first, like, let's just talk about you. Like, let's talk about your story, your upbringing, kind of the lessons that were ingrained in you growing up. Um, And then give me give us a, a little tidbit about your career and kind of where you started and where you've gone. Okay. Well, I, I love my childhood. I, I, I feel very blessed 
to have had um, the mom and dad that I that I that I have, um, and my sister who still remains just an important part of my life. I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Um, I'm one of the few born and raised natives of Los, of Los Angeles. We do exist, and you know I had uh, a father. I call him Baba who was a, a professional uh, man, a black, prof- black professional man during a time when life was so unkind. Um, I mean, it still is. And him and my mom, they instilled in us the belief that we could just walk on water, mm-hmm. that there was nothing that we could not accomplish if we put our minds and our hearts to it. And that was just such a beautiful way to grow up. Um, nothing was off the table. Nothing was um, not thoughtfully considered. We grew up being asked our opinions to start forming our opinions. Mm-hmm. My dad worked in the Middle East, so that afforded us the opportunity to spend summer vacations throughout Europe. We grew up really well. Um, My mom was a Montessori teacher, so everything was just, the world was just curious and ready to be discovered. But I also had very conscious parents, very conscious black parents. And one of the things that my Baba would say to my sister and I throughout our lives was because of the way that we were raised, we had an obligation. We had a responsibility to pay that forward to those who were less fortunate and did not have the opportunities that we were afforded. Now, as you can imagine, as a kid, I I didn't even understand that language. I didn't know what that meant. But I knew it was important because he would say it over and over and over again. And so obviously, as I started to get older, my sister and I, it became fully formed what that meant. And we clearly understood the assignment and started paying it forward at certain stages in our lives. Um, And to this day, we still give back. Um, We were raised to have a giving spirit, Mm -hmm. um, which was so important. But what people don't realize about me, because I don't share it a lot until recently, I've been talking a lot about it. Um, I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. And that shocks a lot of people. Um, I, I am an introvert that was trained to be an extrovert. I didn't speak public publicly until the third grade. And by um, that you mean like you didn't you didn't talk in school. I didn't talk in school. Yeah. I didn't talk in school. I barely spoke even when we were at like birthday parties for other people. I just didn't speak publicly. I spoke like a little chatterbox uh, with my family at home. Mm-hmm. But the minute I left home, I I was mute. Um, to the point that my third grade teacher, you know, called my parents in for a, a conference and they were like, she doesn't talk. Like, what is wrong? Like, what is, what is happening? She's super smart, but she doesn't speak ever. Is there something wrong? Wow. And my parents were like, what are you even like, what are you talking about? I can't shut her up at home. But, you know, my parents are baby boomers. And so they believed that leaders were extroverts. And mm-hmm. so because they believed that they were raising young leaders, future leaders, they really pushed me out of that comfort zone. And it was painful. It was awful. I would cry 
all the time. I was just like, I don't, why is this happening? You know, everything from piano recitals to, you know, public speaking at school, like it was just really a tumultuous time for me, but and my parents weren't trying to be mean spirited. It's just yeah. what they knew. Yeah. Um, looking back on it now, it served me quite well mm-hmm. um, and got me comfortable with public speaking, even though I suffered and I was terrible at it for many years. But over the years, I've, I've tried to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you fast forward to where I am today, I, I now refer to myself as a foreigner in foreign lands. Mm -hmm. And what that means is I've gone into now five different industries without any prior tenure. And it's been amazing. I I remember early in my career when I was pushing myself into other industries, people would tell me like I was making these huge mistakes. Like, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Your CV is all over the place. I never quite understood that because for me, the moves that I was making professionally made all the sense to me. Yeah. And now when you look back on it, because hindsight's twenty twenty, everyone wants the T-shaped leader now. Mm-hmm. And that's me. You know, yeah. I, I have a lot of tools in my toolbox that I'm able to pull at a moment's pull out in a moment's notice. But what it's done is that it's made me just a really smart business woman. I never wanted to be put in a box. And I learned very early in my career, um, starting out in the recorded music industry, that people want to put you in a box. Yeah. Oh, you're the music industry girl, or you're this, or you're that. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm a businesswoman. Yeah. And it, I really caught the bug when I, the entrepreneurial spirit, when I, was the CMO for um, Sean Combs. Uh-huh. I oversaw all six of his brands, you know, everything from spirits to fragrance to recorded music. So every day was a new opportunity. I would be meeting with Estee Lauder executives on the launch of a new fragrance. I would be at the Diageo New York offices mm-hmm. discussing a new Ciroc vodka flavor or off in LA having meetings with Fox Searchlight Pictures to talk Mm -hmm. about the next film he was going to be in or producing. So I was like, I like having my hands in all these different industries. And then I really never looked back after that. I went into, so I started in the recorded music industry, spent almost a decade there. And then I went into brand marketing with Sean. Um, Then I went into manufacturing, not too many people like me go into guitar manufacturing, but it it's actually was the smartest decision I ever made. I mean, I sit on the board of Fender Musical Instruments, mm-hmm. a billion dollar company because of the unicorn I've, I've turned myself into um, through my tenure in marketing and working at Martin Guitars. And then from there, I went into media mm-hmm. at Viacom CBS and when I thought I was going to back home uh, after leaving Viacom, back to LA to work at Netflix, um, BBH called. And then yes. that took me into advertising. And that was our first connection point because I worked yes, at BBH wow. years ago and I always had such heart for that agency. Like that, yeah. that was the formative agency of my career where I was like, oh yeah, 
I'm doing this. This is a blast. Made some of my best friends there. Um, And also, you know, really kind of saw excellent, excellent strategy in action. Absolutely. Um, Some people say it's the, it's the birthplace of strategy. And, you know, once a black sheep, always a black sheep. And I, I love the stories. There's so many people that had the opportunity to work at the agency of black sheep and it's a beautiful thing that, you know, the legacy lives on and, Mm -hmm. and people still recount their time there with uh, like, you know, favorably. So it's, it's beautiful. And one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot is just confidence. And previous to this, um, I was, recounting a story of when I was called egotistical and how that was the, that's the biggest diss I, anyone could ever give me. And that it's, it's, it's like this historical thing in my brain that comes from a childhood of being taught humility and keeping my feet on the ground and not standing out and like, keep your head down, work hard And to all of a sudden be faced with this word of like egotistical, I was like, who am I? What's happening? What, what have I become? Like, I felt like somehow I had turned into this monster, Mm -hmm. but the word, you know, hindsight is 2020 reflecting back on it. It wasn't that I was behaving egotistically. Like I I think at this point in my life, I've cultivated a pretty high level of self-awareness. It was just that I had become confident and I was expressing my point of view in a way that was confident. And I was allowing myself to kind of come into my power in a way I never had before. And so they were sensing a change in me, but whether that was me all of a sudden being egotistical or simply just behaving from a place of confidence and security and self-assuredness, I think that is up for debate. So I'd love to talk to you about that because the most amazing thing about your career is you have been called into these immense roles and these amazing, amazing companies being relatively fresh to those industries. And so tell me about how you navigated confidence in those years when you were kind of entering very new spaces all the time. Um, What a great question. I I just need to take a pause because I, I I know you know this, but it's worth saying again, you are the furthest from what an egotistical person is. So I just need to say that out loud. Um, It's also very disappointing, um, the need to label people. Yes. Um, It goes back to what I was saying about people needing to put you in a box to Mm -hmm. categorize you. So I, if you, you know me, I I reject labels um, fiercely. I, um, you know, when I think back on my journey, I made a lot of mistakes and I I own them. Mm -hmm. Maybe I didn't own them when I was younger because most of the time when we're just starting out, we don't know what we're doing and we don't have the humility to admit that. Um, 
it, that comes later in life when you're a little bit more grounded, when you feel you don't have so much to prove. But my, I, I think I was always a confident person and that really was the way I was raised. Um, again, I was, my sister and I were raised to believe we could walk on water, that there was nothing we couldn't accomplish through application and, and working diligently and studying hard. Um, so I always felt confidence, um, a lot of confidence. I mean, when I think back on my early days of being in the record business, I, when I decided I didn't want to become a lawyer, I woke up one day and declared to my family that I was going to work in the music industry, not even knowing what that even meant. Mm -hmm. And I picked up the yellow pages for those who are young. It's basically a directory that's not online. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the fact that that needs to be explained is, is crazy. It's real. It's real. It's real. And I flipped to record companies and the first company my eyes fell on was Def Jam. They had a small West Coast office. It was all maybe five people. It was a satellite office to the New York one. And I interned there. I was the oldest intern. I was, you know, basically went back to the school of hard knocks. Long story short, after a couple of months of interning, they offered me um, a job. Okay. I took it. It was an office manager. I didn't care. I was like, I like this and I'm just going to take the job. Mm -hmm. And then maybe a month or so later, they offered me uh, a promotions manager role in the New York office. Now, this was after me bugging Kevin Lyles, who at that time was the, I think he was the EVP of promotions. He's now co-founder of 300 Entertainment and more. Um, and they called me on Friday afternoon and told me to be on the red eye flight to JFK Sunday morning. And I was on it. Wow. So... I didn't know anyone in New York, but I packed my little bags and, and the rest is history. So I always had a sense of confidence, um, but that confidence was misconstrued as being egotistical. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know, maybe I was egotistical back then. I just felt I was very confident and as I started getting older, I started rejecting any sense of negative connotation around my ambition. Yes. Because I didn't see any, I didn't see any reason why you would judge my ambition. Right. Why were you judging my level of ambition, but you weren't judging this man's level of ambition? Mm -hmm. And, and we all know a lot of that comes from society and the way people view women, especially women of color mm -hmm. and the roles that we are to play. I always knew I was going to be a business leader and you weren't going to label me out of believing that. Yeah, right. So I had to learn over the years to navigate that really complicated road um, it used to impact me when people would judge me unfairly. Mm -hmm. um, we all deal with imposter syndrome, especially when we're young and we're coming you know, up the corporate ladder and we're trying to make a name for ourselves and we're trying to be indispensable and, and, and build a positive reputation for ourselves. Yeah. Negative criticism hits 
it hits differently when you don't have the strength yet to stand on your own, the confidence yet to stand on your own with conviction. It hits you differently and it can really, it can really damage you. I mean, there was times where I couldn't even take constructive feedback well. Yeah. You know, I would hold it in as I'm getting, you know, the, the feedback. I'm holding in the tears. I'm holding back the tears just till I got to my office and then close the door and I would just cry my eyes out. I, yeah. I couldn't even hear that because all I felt was judgment, judgment, judgment. I'm working so hard. I'm trying my yeah. very best, but I didn't have the, the professional maturity to dissect the feedback in the way it was intended. Someone said to me, I was giving constructive feedback in a review once and someone said to me, they were, the person was very emotional about the feedback I was giving them. And they said, well, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you take feedback? And I said, I take it as a gift. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what are you talking about? I said, let me, let me frame it this way. When someone is giving you feedback, as hard as it may be to hear, it actually is a gift because that person cares enough about you, Mm -hmm. about your success and your growth to sit you down and tell you when you've veered off course Mm -hmm. versus just letting you continue to veer off course and crash and burn. Yeah. And they said, they thanked me. They said, I never, I never looked at it that way. Mm-hmm. But I said, well, it, 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 it takes a certain level of confidence to yeah. hear constructive feedback in the way that it's intended. I didn't have it at her age. Yeah. So I was like, don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah. Just, just try to look at it as a gift because it is because I'm invested in your future. Yeah. So I want you to course correct because I don't want you to veer too far off, you know, of course, where you can't really recover. So long story short, I, I struggled a lot like everyone does. And I may have appeared to be confident, but there was moments throughout my early years where I was crumbling under the pressure yeah. I was crumbling under imposter syndrome. I was, there used to be a time where when someone would say something mean to me, it, it didn't have an impact because I said probably the same thing to myself 10 times worse. Wow. And so I was really unkind to myself in yeah. those early years. I didn't feel that I was enough even though I had success after success after success, I didn't feel I deserved it. I didn't feel the work I was doing was enough. Um, The cup was never full. And that is such, oh my gosh, like that is such a detriment to yourself, you know, to your, to your view of who you think you are. You know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you know, I didn't see what everyone else saw. I saw a person who was lacking. And I just thank God that 
I had mentors around me and people around me that cared enough about me to help me get back on course. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really fortunate, right? Because feedback to go back to that point for a second also has to come from someone well-intentioned. Yes. And I think that's, that's part of all of this, right? Is there are people who you will encounter in your career who will just try to put you down, break you down, who will prod at your insecurities, who will, who will know exactly what to say to make you spiral. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was me in the egotistical comment, me in this, you lack self-awareness. And I was like, wait, I lack self-awareness. Like I thought that was one of my strengths and I spiraled and I spiraled and I questioned myself and, and I took several steps backwards mm. in my confidence. And to yes. me, confidence comes from a place of grounded, justified knowledge, passion, effort, whereas ego can often be empty. And so when I was called egotistical, it basically made me feel like I had, I was empty inside and I was just projecting versus what I thought I was projecting was confidence. Like I, I know what I'm doing. I feel like I have a perspective. I feel like I know how to make this successful. And so there's such a fine line between these two things and being able as a woman and a woman of color or a person of color or any sort of marginalized group to feel confident in and of itself is a feat Absolutely. because we are functioning against, you know, archetypes that are very different from us. Absolutely. We haven't had the luxury of seeing models of success or leadership that are models we feel aligned to. And so to toe this line between feeling confident and being egotistical and being confident, but having to put yourself out there and show that confidence and exude that confidence out in the world, because that's the only way you will win another person's confidence in you. Like that is just this immense catch 22. It is, but it's also grossly unfair. We're human beings. We all have egos. Like let's just level set. We all have egos. And you know, I, I reject labels categorically. Yeah. I've been labeled my whole life. I reject it completely. I don't, all I can, I can't be um, held responsible for how you may or may not feel about me. Mm-hmm. All I, I can't, cause I can't control your feelings. I, I just, I'm not yeah. a witch. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> All I can control is how I interact with you, how I speak with you, um, own my missteps, you know, set my intentions. That's, that's all I can do with, with human beings. Um, and so I, I don't hold myself, 
um, accountable to things that I can't control. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, leaders have to be confident. Yes, we have to be. Yes. we are. We are expected to persuade and recruit and to guide a large body of people. Mm-hmm. And it's not, unfortunately, it can't be a popularity race because we, not everyone's going to like us. It's just, it's, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. We're the ones that have to make those really hard decisions. We, we're, we're trusted with a lot. Um, we're trusted with the uh, success and the health of a business, the success and health of a culture, the success and health of a, a health of the talent and the workforce. Mm-hmm. All we can do is try to lead with empathy and accountability. At least that's the way that I lead. I am an accountability manager who leads with empathy, and that has to be enough. I do not believe that women leaders should be criticized for A, having an ego, Mm -hmm. and B, being confident. I don't believe we should be criticized for having both. Because we are human beings and all human beings have an ego. Yes. How you use your ego Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's up to the individual. Yeah. I've been called bossy mm-hmm. where a man has been called a leader. Yes. I've been called loud when a man has been called decisive. Mm-hmm. We have unconscious biases mm-hmm. that do play a role in business today and in our lives, to be quite yes. honest. Yes, absolutely. And we have to work to debunk that so that the next generation of female leaders have it a little easier. Yes. It is our responsibility. It It is our responsibility. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we were talking earlier and about um, Mina Harris has been doing a lot of work recently about love her deconstruct, love her deconstructing and reframing ambition. And, you know, in the face of Serena Williams, leaving tennis and oh god that gut-wrenching piece that you know she she I think it was she was interviewed or she wrote in Vogue um, about how she grappled with it and just in the Arden like she became prime minister like something that is has been unreachable to women for eons absolutely and yet you know many people applauded them they were like go you like you made a hard decision you chose to prioritize your family mm-hmm. i actually got i was really upset mm. because i was like yes i'm i'm so happy these women made the decisions that were right for them if they were right for them but i have a feeling that it felt like the only decision they could make and that to <sighs> me like that's scary as an ambitious woman and you are an ambitious woman and you know serena williams and jacinda arden very ambitious woman but 
what we use ambition for is very different than what ambition has been used for and defined as previously. To us, ambition isn't just a money, a vacation home, like a title, you know, rubbing shoulders with other elites. To me, my ambition is about change. My ambition is I want to see other women, other introverts, other, you know, um, philosophically, psychologically diverse, racially diverse. Like I want to see different people able to succeed. Yes. That is my ambition. And so if ambition is a dirty word, it discounts all of the good so many of us can do. Absolutely. And we need we need to be in positions of power to make those changes. We have to be. First of all, ambition is not a dirty word. No. So let's just level set that right now. It is not a dirty word. People will laugh when they hear me say this because I've said it at almost every job and every position that I've been in. I always, I've always, I've always said to people, who's going to take my job? Uh huh. And I met, usually I'm met with just shock. And I'm not saying, I, I never say that to be provocative. I'm actually dead serious. Like who, who in this room is going to take my job? Because that's how you should be thinking. And I say that to illustrate a point. When I go into these different industries, I'm going because I want, just like you, I want to implement change. Mm -hmm. I, I want people, stakeholders, to get used to seeing someone that looks like me sitting at the front, at the head of the table. And it's done so that I pray the next Amani, the next Ambika mm-hmm. will have it just a little easier than I did. Yeah. When they walk through those doors and they take the seat at the head of the table to lead the meeting. That takes ambition. Yeah. It does. That takes courage. We're walking through doors that are held shut. We're pulling out chairs for ourselves and hopefully hopefully for others that no one's pulling out for us. Mm-hmm. So we have to be ambitious. I need someone to raise their hand and say, I'm going to take your job. Mm-hmm. Because my response to that is, let's put you on a plan, yeah. a developmental plan to make that happen because I'm not going to stay here forever. Yeah. So what's the, who's the next generation that's going to come in and lead? I would hope it would be another Brown or black woman. Yeah. So we're, we're laying the foundation for the next generations that takes ambition. And that's why, you know, and it takes a level of ego to believe that it can be done. Yes, it does. That's why I don't, these labels, I just reject them. Like, yes, we have ego because we have to, if we don't believe it, who will? Yes, we are confident because it takes confidence to walk 
through that door that's practically nailed shut. Yes, it takes ambition to pave the way for future generations to follow. Yes. So that's why I just, I've always rejected labels. Mm -hmm. They are the detriment of progress because it puts you in a box. And if we left it up to everyone else, they would keep you in that box and nail it shut. Mm -hmm. So we constantly have to continue to push and charge forward with ego, with confidence, and with ambition. Yeah. We are having to vouch for ourselves because nobody else vouches for us. We don't have the privilege of nepotism. We don't have the privilege of um, familiarity bias. We don't have a, oh, would I want to get a beer with that person after work? Because I see myself in them. I don't know how many male CEOs in their 50s and 60s see anything in me that is in them (laughs) or vice versa. But I see something in myself. That's right. And I see something in you. And I see something in, you know, every everyone I'm bringing into this podcast fold because those are the people I believe need to be heard. But... If we don't vouch for ourselves and if we don't use this bubbling momentum under the surface of our world right now to create change by being loud and being out there and being pushy about our ideas being seen and heard, nothing is ever going to change. I could not agree with you more. I remember um, one, when I was at Viacom CBS, I was leaving a meeting and I was walking with a colleague, uh, down the hallway and two young black girls were walking the opposite direction. And, you know, I speak to everyone. I'm like, Hey girl. Mm-hmm. And one of them stopped and said, you know, can I talk with you for a minute? And I was like, of course. She went on to introduce herself and she basically recounted to me um, a moment where she was in a meeting that I was in and it wasn't my meeting, but she was like, I was so impressed with how you were leading the meeting and Mm -hmm. how you were representing us. And I just said, oh, thank you, sis. I said, but I don't remember you in the meeting. And she said, oh, I was sitting in the corner. And I said, well, why were you sitting in the the corner? Yeah. And she's like, well, you know, there was a lot of, you know, big voices in the room. I said, do me a favor. I said, the next time you're invited to a meeting, please have a seat at the table. Yes. I said, you're there. You were invited to the meeting for a reason. And you should take a seat at the table. I said, unless it's assigned seating or there's some formality about the meeting, there's no reason for you to sit in a corner of a room. You were asked to be in the meeting for a reason. So I'm asking you the next time you're asked to attend a meeting, honor yourself by showing up in a very big way and having a seat 
at the table. Yeah. And she was like, okay, I promise I'll, I'll do that next time. But her, I think what bothered me the most was that her instincts were to play small. Mm -hmm. She didn't even think to have a seat at this very large conference room table. I mean, there's plenty of room. Mm -hmm. Her instinct was to play small and to sit in a corner. And it just, it broke my heart. It really did. And that's why we have to keep pushing that the rock up the hill and yeah. keep being positively disruptive and unapologetically ambitious. Yeah. And it was, it's so, yes, that story really resonates with me even now at this phase of my life, because, you know, um, Neha O'Rourke, who she was in a yes. previous episode, she's incredible. Oh, wow. Said to me, she sent me a text after we recorded and she was like, Hey, she's like, I don't want you to be apologetic about starting this podcast. She's like, I don't want you to shy away from the fact that you're doing it, that it's something that's feeling really good to you, that you're having a fucking blast. That's she's right. Like, you have to own it. But again, Absolutely. my, my instinct is to play small. And that's why, you know, this topic was so, such a challenge for me and ha has been probably one of the hardest internal debates I've had in my life of like, it's not in my nature actually to be on social media. Like I, like the idea of recording my face on a phone and talking into a phone terrified me. You know, like many other people, the sound of my yes. voice, I'm like, oh, I sound so fill in the blank <laughs> with a negative adjective. But my ideas and what I believe I can bring to the world deserves to be honored by me first Absolutely. and foremost. It does. And so putting myself out there on social media, doing this podcast, you know, letting myself not even just humble brag, but brag, be like, yeah, I did that. Yeah. I did help get like lactating breasts on TV for the first time ever. Uh-huh. Yes. I did help Joe Biden create his visual identity. Yes, I did. Fill in the blank, fill in the blank, you know, like allow yourself to feel the power of your impact. And that is what we cannot shy away from, whether it's ego, because it's not ego though. Like, and I agree, I reject label. I, I'm trying to reject labels. So I fully agree, but I hate the negative connotation that comes with ego because it is, it makes you feel as if you are not worthy of the attention. Mm-hmm. 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 Whereas you are worthy of the attention. Implicitly. You're absolutely, you're absolutely, it is your destiny to live your life powerfully. It's alert. What you're describing is alert behavior that simply needs to be unlearned. There is power in extroverts, but there's also power in introverts. I read Susan Cain's book, 
um, silent. Uh The power of the introvert. She has an incredible TED talk. And it spoke to my soul. Mm -hmm. You can be an introvert and still live your life powerfully on your terms. You don't have to be an extrovert. Um, And that's the process that you have to undergo. It's a discovery of like, how can I deal with press on my terms? How can I lead groups on my terms? I remember having a meeting with um, a group of people when I was at Marching Guitar and I was presenting a new idea. And I, it, it wasn't until we did the Myers-Briggs analysis that yeah. I understood how to tailor my approach so that it was better received by certain recipients. Mm-hmm. I would go into a meeting super excited, all in pitch mode, presenting an idea. Yeah. And I would immediately say, so what do you think? Yeah. And people were just shutting down. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was asking them to do something that they were just uncomfortable doing, that that certain people preferred to digest the presentation, have time to reflect, think about it, analyze, and then circle back at another time. Once I learned that, I was more impactful and effective in my role with certain people. So, you know, I say this just to illustrate the fact that there's room for all of us, mm-hmm. whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, there's room for all of, for everyone to thrive and live life powerfully and unapologetically. Mm-hmm. Um, you just got to figure out what works best for you. Yeah. You know, there's moments where I'm in a meeting and I'm just sitting listening absorbing and being energized in a very quiet way mm-hmm. by maybe the bigger voices in the room. And then there's times where I have to step up and be an extrovert and yep. lead and motivate um, the teams, yeah. um, give them the confidence they need, be that coach that's on the field, calling the plays in motion. It's part of the leadership journey where you will, um, learn how to be the most effective and impactful leader you can be by actually paying attention to the energy and the nonverbals and um, leaning in, knowing when to lean in and when to lean out Mm -hmm. and let things breathe and know when, you know, okay, I need to let this contract a bit. I need to give this space Um, And maybe we do need to circle back. So it's all part of the journey. But I think what's really key here is we, as women leaders, we need to give ourselves grace and kindness. We need to give ourselves the same level of empathy that we constantly have to give to so many people. Mm -hmm. It's okay if you made a mistake. It's okay. You're human. My goodness. When did making a mistake become you know, so detrimental. Yeah. It, it, it's because it's not. Yeah. It's just the voices in our head. Yeah. That are telling us we're not enough. We're not good enough. You're not up for the task. 
we need to learn to silence those voices mm-hmm. and to move with, with confidence. And for me personally, that really came with maturity. That came with trusting my gut, trusting that I am enough and that I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Why would someone hire me if they didn't believe in me mm-hmm. or have the confidence in my capability? It's time for me to start standing firmly on that confidence and that belief. And when I started betting on myself, everything shifted for myself. Mm-hmm. Everything shifted for me. Um, I walked into a president's role during COVID and eight months later assumed the role of the CEO. Yeah. Like I I never would have thought Mm -hmm. that that would have been my journey, but it, it was, and I'm proud of it. And I trust that you were there for a reason and you were, and I'm proud of the wins. And I think that we don't pause enough to acknowledge like, I did that. Wow, that was awesome. You know, I used to never pause and acknowledge the wins, but I would sit there and wallow in the losses. Mm-hmm. It's like, why, wh- like, wow, life is a balancing act. There's gonna be wins and there's gonna be challenges. So why am I spending an exorbitant amount of time, like torturing myself over the losses or the challenges. Yeah. You learn from them. You give yourself humility and grace around it. Mm -hmm. And then you move on. Yes. And you move forward with the intention to do better and be better. Yeah. But I've learned over the years to take that like little pause and remember the wins. I I do something that I've shared with a lot of people. At the beginning of every year, I, in my notes, uh, in my iPhone, I title it like 2020 highlights or 2021 highlights. Mm -hmm. And throughout the year, I'll just make a little note of like the wins. And then at the end of the year, I'll read back because we tend to forget. Yes, yes, we do. And it's so nice to just kind of look back on like, wow, that was like a really good year. And it, and people say, well, why don't you record the losses? I'm like, I don't have to because I rem- remind myself all the time of them. Yes. So, you know what I mean? Like, I don't need to write them down. Trust me, they're, they're, they're rolling in, in my, my head. <laughs> like they're rolling in my brain all the time. But we don't give ourselves, you know, just the grace to remember the, the win. So it is so true. make a list make a list. It's really, it's a nice, it's a nice look back. Um, it's so funny because I'm doing that exact thing. I'm obsessing over this new business pitch that we lost that I really <laughs> wanted to win because hashtag advertising. Of course. And then last night, my husband's out of town. I, the kids have been sick and they finally, like they were asleep. It sounded like they were soundly asleep. And I like, poured myself a glass of wine and was opening packages and three things came in the mail. Um, A little gift from Sophia Amoroso because I'm, I'm hosting a class for her in her master class. Wood press um, 
oh sorry wood cut stamp of my favorite book oh. women who run with the wolves from Lindsay waking who was on the oh, podcast amazing. my little stickers my corner office oh. breakdown stickers you have to send me one i need one. Oh yeah you're gonna get one and i was like you know what look at that i have a fucking podcast and i have stickers oh. And there you go. I realize, and I feel like this is also, Amani, like your theme right now. Mm. To pause in your power. Right. Pause That's in right. your power. And last night I was like, shit, life is good. It is. I love my spouse. Yeah. It's hard, but we're getting through it. My That's kids right. are cute oh, and babies. healthy. That's and right. I get to... I'm doing work that is giving my life meaning. There's no do-overs, my friend. You have to live. We should be living our life fully present and powerfully and unapologetically. Like, I know I keep saying that, but like, I've talked to so many like incredible dynamic women who are, apologizing for their greatness yes yes apologizing for wanting something and it just i'm like no stop pause there is no reason for anyone to apologize for having human desires you're not hurting anyone you're actually giving back to society you're 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 an, an amazing human being you have integrity and grace and all these things you have nothing to be ashamed about and you have nothing to apologize for so let's just stop this narrative honestly and let's lift each other up and encourage each other to live confidently and powerfully because life is good as challenging as it is there's so much we want to change I can't even get into just yes, the socio-political and there's, yeah. there's just so much that keeps us up at night that we need to find joy in the little things and we need to honor that and, and support each other yeah. because why not? So yeah. yay for your stickers. <laughs> yay for my stickers. <laughs> and Yay for everyone who is out there doing the damn thing. That's right. Being proud of themselves and allowing that expression of pride and joy and celebration to live out in the world. Because for a lot of us, we love to see it. That's we right. love to see it. And if we can see your joy through a lens of joy versus through a lens of our own pain, it That's will right. never be seen as ego or egotistical. It will be seen right. as self-love and confidence and us all just living our potential. Well, Imani, as always, this was an absolute pleasure. It's Thank the joy of my day sharing. talking with you. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your strength and your smarts and your compassion oh. with all of us. And bravo to you, my friend, for creating this incredible platform for storytelling. I think it's the best way for us to support each other and to learn from each other. There's room for all of us. So let's get rid of these archaic labels mm -hmm. that do nothing but hold us back. 
from living our full potential. I'm here for the ego. I'm here for confidence. I'm here for living life powerfully and unapologetically. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to support other women leaders because we, we need it. You know, yes. we're falling off the glass cliff and the mental tax is something I, for one, no longer want to pay. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.